And what I'm going to speak on is our speech, or the words that we use. If we look back to all the series we've done during the year, they're all about kind of going deeper, uh, moving forward, um, digging down. And the effect of all of this going deeper into God ought to have an outflow in our lives. Or a fragrance, if you want to use that analogy, that touches the world around us. Now, two weeks ago, John O spoke. I, I don't want to embarrass anyone here, but does anybody remember what John O spoke about two weeks ago? It's a long, long time. Dig far back in the recesses of your heart. Yes. Yep. Okay, that can be good enough. <laughs> uh, um, this is again the working out. We see God, and the outworking of that is loving one another. There needs to be an outworking. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. So, Jono spoke about that, loving one another, and the outflow that we have from digging deeper into God can manifest itself in a number of different ways. I think the main way, uh, or the main two ways, are firstly our character or actions. You, you see it in who we are as people, as Christians, as what we do. Emerson said, what you are Shout so loudly in my ears, I can't hear what you're saying. True statement, true statement. So it's not just our words, our character and our actions need to be there. Secondly, a large slice of how we communicate this fragrance as Christians, or another analogy, how we reflect God's light, or how we live our lives as ambassadors for Christ, comes through our mouths and the words that we speak. There's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, which says, every word of the Lord is flawless. Flawless is, is perfect. When we, when we use the term flawless, we think of things like diamonds. And Proverbs says, every word of the Lord is flawless. That certainly can't be said about me. And maybe it can't be said about you either. Every word of the Lord is flawless. Now, it's a fact that we shape our lives by the words we use, positive and negative. And uh, it, it, it pains me to hear some people shape their lives in such a negative way. You could speak to somebody who's speaking about their work situation, and they could look at it different ways. And the person could say, things are really bad in the economy. I'm sure we're going to be having retrenchments. I'm going to be out of a job. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll probably then won't be able to afford my rent. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford school fees for my kids. Things just look so bleak. Well, if this is what you are saying, you probably will be one of the first to be retrenched. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You could have somebody else in a work situation saying things are really tight out there, but I'm a child of God, and my trust is in God. 
And I'm going to do everything I can to add value to my work situation. People around me are despondent. They're filled with despair. I'm going to be speaking words of hope, words of encouragement. I'm going to give it my best shot, put my shoulder to the plow, work as hard as I can, prove my worth to the company. And I'm going to believe God that I'm not going to be retrenched. But if I am retrenched, as a child of God, I know that he's got a plan for my life. And he's got another season for me. Another door is going to open. So I'm actually upbeat about it. It doesn't faze me one way or another. Somebody like that is likely to keep their job. We shape our lives by the words we use, positive and negative. Proverbs 18 verse 21a says, The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. We shape our lives by the words we use. The other thing we need to know about this, or the question we need to ask ourselves, is who is the audience? Any suggestions on who is our audience? Yeah, I think we're all wrong with Joe, yeah? This is a start. The first audience we have is God. Every word that comes out of our mouths, God is the witness. He is our audience. We need to be conscious of that. When we speak words of despair, I don't know what's going to happen about my future, that is a slap in God's face. That is saying, I actually don't trust God. I don't trust his word that says he's good because I'm feeling all hopeless about the the future. Let's remember that every word we speak, God is listening. The second part of our audience is ourselves. We listen to what we say, and it shapes us. The third one, and Joe got this, the person we're speaking to. And then fourthly, and I think equally important, principalities and powers. Principalities and powers can influence our thinking. And if we speak negatively, if we say things like, my marriage is struggling at the moment, I don't think things are going to work out, I don't know if I've got the, the gumption to keep pressing through, I seem to be arguing about with my wife much more, um, I don't know what the future holds for us. Words like that, the enemy will listen to and say, well, I see a chink in that armor. The Bible says, don't give any foothold to the devil. And when we speak these negative words, we are exposing the chinks in our armor. And do you know what? The enemy then starts feeding those things and feeding those thoughts. And pretty soon, we start going downhill. So let's be aware of the words we're speaking and the power in those words. Because we're just heaping up a great enemy for ourselves by speaking negative and destructive words. Now, our speech or the words we speak fall into one of three categories. The first category is meaningless. Someone once said, there's nothing wrong with having nothing to say unless you say it aloud. And I think if a category of people fall into this category, it must be politicians. 
the world over, I've heard so many of these political speeches, and at the end of it, you, you're wondering, what did the guy actually say? It's just meaningless. Politicians seem to have a wonderful way of speaking lots of words, lots of eloquent words, and saying nothing. It's quite an art. I remember being in a, in a, a tent crusade once, and uh, it, it wasn't in English, so they gave me an interpreter, and we were going along quite nicely, but then the interpreter stopped. And this meeting was going on. I thought maybe he's tired or something like that. After about 10 minutes, I said to this interpreter, what is the guy saying? So he said, nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, meaningless. We, we don't want our speech to fall into that category. I don't want to speak words that are meaningless. The second category is destructive. So things like gossip, lying, slander, these things, which shouldn't even be named among Christians, are destructive speech. I think probably the most, the greatest wake-up call I had of this was way back when I was a youth leader in Santon, and um, I got a call one Friday night, big distress at somebody's house. The family weren't Christians, but this, uh, the son was. He was in grade 10, and they asked me to go there urgently. And I went there, and to my horror, found this situation. This father of this grade 10 boy was upset about something or other, his marks or something, and uh, he went into his room and started ranting and raving and shouting at him, and he used the phrase, you are the biggest regret of my life. And after his rent, he slammed the door and went out. And it got to about six o'clock. And supper was ready and they were waiting. And they called him and he didn't come. And his father went up to the room to find that he had hanged himself. And on the wall written in Koki, you are the greatest regret of my life. Well, I don't need to tell you what happened. The family blew apart. The parents got divorced. The mother was blaming the father. The father was blaming the mother. The kids, broken family. One destructive sentence can ruin many, many lives. What a tragedy. I'm sure if I asked the question here, who has scars from things that were said to you at some stage in your life? I'm sure virtually everyone would put up their hand. I know I grew up in quite a dysfunctional fa family, and my father said things to me 60 years ago that are as clear in my mind as if he said them last night. I've forgiven him, I've worked through it, but I've had to battle all my life with these things, these sayings, these expressions, these, these events, negative things that he had probably forgotten about long ago. But they had left scars that don't heal easily. We do forgive. We do overcome. But we don't necessarily forget. What about God? There's an interesting verse in Genesis 6 verse 6. It says, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, 
and his heart was filled with pain. God's heart filled with pain. We are God's children. If we speak destructive words that cause scars, that cause hurt, that cause pain, what does God feel about these circumstances? I'm sure you've been in shopping centers as I again, and somebody is having a go at some two-year-old or three-year-old, shouting at them, yanking them by the arm, and, and you look at the situation and you, your heart just breaks for this poor two- or three-year-old who's been sitting in a trolley for an hour, pushed around the jolly shops, and now his mother's ranting and raving at him for something or other. You don't do this to little children. And if we feel that about other children that aren't even our children, not even related to that, to us, how does God feel when his children hurt and harm one another? Maybe even unintentionally by the words that we use. God's heart was filled with pain. And then the third category of speech, and this is where we're going to be homing in on, is constructive. Colossians 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious. Not most of the time, some of the time. Always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. And this is God's desire. That our speech, the words we speak, must build up and edify. Is this the case for my life? No. For your life, you need to answer that question. But this is God's plan. This is God's purpose, that as we dig deeper into God, the outflow is words that will edify, encourage, and build up. And how the world would be different if all the Christians were doing just that. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Then it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can be grieved, talking in this context about our words. God's heart can be hurt. And so we can say we need to, we want to, speak words that build up. We dig deeper into God. We dig deeper into God's word. And the result is we start speaking words that encourage, words that edify, words that build up. The question is, how do we do this? And God's word is just so practical. The key is found in Romans 12 verse 2. It says, don't model your life on the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind or your intellect. Transformation of the mind. That's how it takes place. And it's no good making a new resolution. You must start by looking to God to renew the way you think. This is about training, not about trying. And I'm sure in this, uh, the end of the next month, many people will make new resolutions for next year. Don't make this one of your new, re new, re re new year's resolutions. I want to speak words that encourage. It, it has to come from our digging deeper into God. That is the source. If we just try and put this on, it's like putting on decorations on a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree is different from a fruit tree. A fruit tree produces fruit. A Christmas tree might look fancy, 
but there's no life in those decorations. We need to be digging into God, and the fruit of that comes out in the way we speak. And that doesn't come by trying, it comes by training. And training, and training, and training in having our minds renewed. How are our minds renewed? This is the next question. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, the human mind always sets itself on something. Our mind's never blank, not like a vacuum. Our minds are always thinking about something. And Paul urges us to set our minds on the right things. So that has, a, has an effect on what we do with social media. Who we follow on social media. What sort of TV we watch. What movies we watch. What podcasts we listen to. What reading material we engage with. Because all these things are going to influence our minds. And the Bible is very clear the kind of things we must set our minds on. Now that doesn't mean we only read the Bible and nothing else. I'm not saying that. But, but where, do we, where, where do we get our source? Where do we really engage and, and get our influences from? Is it from newspapers? Is it from circumstances around us? Or is it from God and his word? Things that are pure, things that are holy, things that are noble, things that are going to build me up. These are the things that need to inform our thinking. It's a very sad thing. And I've spoken to a number of people who say they think of emigrating because this country is down the tubes. Oh, has God spoken to you about that? But if you listen to, to interviews and you read newspapers, you should see what the economists are saying. There is no hope for this country. Well, I'm not really interested in what the economists say. What, what is God saying? Is God, if, if God wants me in another country, and most of you know we were in England for four years, sovereignly God sent us there, sovereignly God sent us back. If God sends you to another country, that's great. But if you are responding to circumstances or what carnal people out there in the world are saying, godless people, if those are the things informing your thinking about what decisions to make in life, man, oh man, you're on the wrong track. We need to have our thinking informed by God and his word. And sure, I'm interested what the newspapers have to say. I listen to the to business report. I hear what the economists have to say. But those things don't inform my thinking. God's word informs my thinking. As we allow God's word, not society or human logic, to inform our thinking, this shapes my thoughts, which in turn shapes my attitude, which in turn shapes my speech, and ultimately my behavior. So it all starts off with my thinking. And it ends up with my behavior. I'll never forget an interview I watched quite a number of years ago. It was a secular interview, but the man being interviewed was a Christian. And he was very overt about the fact that he was a Christian, and the interviewer wasn't a Christian. And trying to trip him up and trying to uh, 
just get him to go her way. But he didn't go that way. And I thought to myself, well, here is a man who digs deep into God, and this is the fruit we see. So they said to this man, he was retired, and they were speaking about his life, and he was bringing in the goodness of God, how good God has been to him. And the interviewer got a bit But if I'm not mistaken, you built up a very, very successful business. And uh, you were doing very well, and through no fault of your own, that business collapsed. Is that not true? So he said, yes, that's true. So she said, and you saying to me that God is good. So he smiled and he said, yes. He said, you know, the lessons that I learned during that season of my life, my misplaced values, the little value in things, the great value in God, and the great value in people. He said, during that period of my life, my whole thought process was refocused. And since that time till this time, I've been on the right track. Although I wouldn't choose to go into liquidation, although I wouldn't choose to go through that season again, that was one of the greatest and most beneficial learning curves I had in my life. I must repeat that God has been good to me throughout my life. And then she said, and what about your daughter, 28 years old? Some drunk uh, driver drove through a robot and she was killed. Was it, wasn't that a tragedy? How does that speak of God's goodness? And he paused for a moment and he said, my daughter loved Jesus. She had a passion for those who were lost. And at her funeral, hundreds of people came to know Jesus. And she said, if you spoke to my daughter today, said, was it worth losing your life to have these hundreds of friends and colleagues be in the kingdom? Was it worth it? She would have said yes. And he said, although it was tragic, although I didn't enjoy that season, I can't deny the goodness of God. He's building his kingdom. My daughter is safe. No, my friend, God is good. And he said, what about your wife? She died recently with cancer. Can you say God was good there? And he smiled and he said, you know, since the day we got married, my wife told me how much in love with Jesus she was. And all throughout our lives and when we had our quiet time every morning, she would speak about Jesus. When we once spoke about a bucket list, she said there's only one thing on her bucket list, and that is to spend her days in the presence of Jesus. And he took her home. It would be selfish for me to want her back here. No, it was sad, but I'm so glad that my wife had her life's greatest ambition met. And he said, no, my friend, as I look back on my life, every single day I can tell you, God has been good to me. And this interviewer had nothing more to say. And I thought, well, you see, here's somebody who understands from the right perspective. Here's somebody who digs deep into God, understands the workings of the kingdom, and is speaking words of life, words of hope, words of encouragement. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks.
And the state of a person's heart can clearly be seen in their speech. You can't fool it. So sometimes we listen to people and we say, maybe even someone on the TV, that person is so arrogant or that person so kind or they're so proud. Well, you've never met them. How can you make that statement? You can hear by what they are saying what's in their heart. And we just can't fake that. So in closing, we're going to look at four points. And the first point is the problem we have. And this is a serious problem. Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Whoa. (laughs) Words spoken without thinking often show what we are really like. And those words can often cause the most damage. Words spoken in anger. These words cause damage. They are careless words. And Jesus says that we are going to be held accountable for every single careless word that we have spoken. I remember to a couple once, the marriage broke up, and a Christian couple, they had uh, three or four teenage daughters, and I was asking the wife, what happened? Where did this all start? It started a year before that, when she was having some altercation with her husband, and her husband made this statement, I have never really loved you. The reason I married you was because I felt sorry for you. Well, then he repented and said, I didn't didn't mean that. But that sentence stuck in her heart. She came from a very difficult background. And she had been rejected her whole life. And she thought she found love when she met this husband of hers. And then she realized, no, he's also part of this rejection process. He only married me because he felt sorry for me. And, and although they tried to get the marriage to work, that was the beginning of the end. One sentence, a whole family blown apart. And he's going to be held accountable for that one sentence on the day of judgment. What a thing. James 1.19 says, Let each one of you be quick to listen, but slow to speak. Wise words. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now Sally gets very frustrated with me because I'm slow to speak. And because of what's happened to me over the years, I don't want to speak careless words. And so if I'm in a situation that gets my blood boiling or a situation that's really doing something to me, then I just zip my lip because I don't want to say things that I'm going to regret later. Then I need to process these things first, understand them in the light of God's word, and when I've done that, then I will make a comment, which might be the next day or it might be two or three days later. But I am wary of saying things in the heat of the moment that might just be throwaway lines, but those lines could destroy other people's lives. And I don't want to be like that. I was thinking just this week, some of you might have read in the paper, about this advocate 
that was shot in Durban in a court case, and they had an exhibit of a shotgun. Unfortunately, the shotgun was loaded. Somebody lifted it up, and the shot was fired, and this advocate was killed in the courtroom. Now, that person who lifted up the gun didn't intentionally shoot them. They would have, their, their defense would have been, but I just lifted up the gun, and, and it went off. I, I didn't mean to kill her. Well, that was the effect. Friends, our words can be like that. I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to say that. I, that. That's not what I really meant. These words can kill people inside, destroy them, set them back years and years and years in their thinking. When we speak to our children, when we speak to our spouses, when we speak to our colleagues at work, when we speak to our neighbors, when we speak to our family, we have the ability of building them up, speaking words of life, or tearing them down, speaking words of destruction that they may never, ever recover from. So, that is our problem. The challenge we have in Timothy 4 verse 12, Timothy speaking to this young man says, Set the believers in an example, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, how about that? Paul speaking to this young man, set an example for the believers. You would think you would say in faith. I mean, faith is all important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he doesn't say that. Number one in this list, set an example for the believers in speech. The way you speak, Timothy, that is of prime importance. That's how you set an example for the believers. And then also in conduct, what Jono was speaking about two weeks ago. And then in love, which is so important, in faith and in purity. Starts with speech. Thank God for those who have set an example for us. I thank God many people in my life over the years have set an example in speech really helped me, really encouraged me, spoke words that really pointed me in the right direction. And then our prayer is found in Psalm 19 verse 14. The psalmist says, let the words of my mouth, and very quickly he adds on, and the meditation of my heart, be acceptable or be a delight in your sight, O Lord. Let the words of my mouth, but where do those words come from? The meditation of my heart. Be a delight in your sight, O Lord. And the result, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 11 says, The words of the wise. Now, Jesus spoke about a wise man. Who, who was the wise man? Anybody remember, yeah? Oh, goodness me. The wise man was the one who was a Christ follower. He built his life on the rock. That's the wise man. The words of the wise are like goads. Who knows what a goad is? It's not the opposite of a stopped. A goad. Any takers? Yo, Felicia. A, go a goad is, a, is a, an instrument that shepherds use. It's a stick about two meters long. It's got a point on the end. And you use it to prod the sheep to go in the right direction. Sometimes with pain, but you are helping them. 
to go in the right direction. And uh, so the words of the wise are like goads. Now goads direct, encourage, though sometimes with pain. Then it continues, their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails or like tent pegs. And when we joined the church, that was in the last stages of Dee's life. But many, many people have said to me over the time, and I've heard it come from the pulpit, people say, Dee always used to say, and then they'll come out with some expression. That's a collected saying. Words of the wise. This is exactly what it's saying in Ecclesiastes. The words of the wise are like goads. Their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails or like tent pegs. One of the sayings that I have that I continually quote is that he who thatches his roof in fine weather has no need to fear the storm. And if you ask my kids, they will quote all sorts of things that I've spoken my whole life. Because we need to, we need to speak these words that bring life, that bring instruction, that bring wisdom to those around us. As we enter the final month of 2019 and 2020, the new year, let's be those who focus on the good things and on God's word, who work with God to renew our minds and then speak words that delight God's heart and add kingdom value to every conversation. And you know, the great thing about this is, and I was thinking about that this morning, is that no one can duck. This applies to every single one of us, whether you are young or old, rich or poor, fat or thin, intellectual or not, a scholar, working or retired. Every single one comes into this challenge. And let's take this to heart and make a difference. I'm telling you, people are struggling all around us. And where we find pain, may we be the ones who speak words of healing. Where we find darkness, may we speak words that bring light. Where we find hatred, may we speak words of love. Where we find injury, may we speak words of forgiveness or pardon. Where we find discord, may we speak words that foster unity and peace. Where we find sadness, may we speak words that bring joy. Where we find despondency, may we speak words that bring hope. We're going to close our eyes and just do what we need to do with God for a moment, and then I'm going to close in prayer. So let's just consider what God might be speaking to you about this morning. I don't know your situation. I don't know where you come from. I don't know your life. But the effect of going deeper into God is this fruit, this outworking of our lives, our character, our actions, and our words in this frenetic season that we're entering, when people are crying out for answers, where there's so much pain, so much hurt, so much discord, so much hopelessness, we don't want to be those who just fuel the fire. We want to be those who come as salt, bring healing, bring light.
Can you imagine if every single one of us, in every conversation we had this week, was adding kingdom value? Never mind how negative it was, we, we, we not, we're not denying that negative things are happening, but we're not responding from a worldly point of view. We're responding from God's point of view and bringing hope and encouragement and unity and love and peace to those around us. Oh God, God help us. Help us, Lord, to bear this kind of fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now maybe you have never come to a place in your life where you have given your life to God. And what I've been saying is a bit foreign to you. If you feel God tugging at the the strings of your heart and you would like to begin the journey, then come forward. I'm going to be here afterwards and we can pray together. For the rest of you, I would really encourage you in this busy season to not forget the words of this challenge. And remember that every careless word that you speak, you're going to be held accountable for. God, have mercy. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Wow, what an amazing challenge. Just before we we rush out, I...